Jonathan and musicians. As you well know, we've been in the book of Philippians in a, a very divided world. Uh, I sensed a number of weeks ago we needed to concentrate on some joy and peace and contentment. And so we've been walking through this little book, and uh, we'll bring that to a close this morning. Uh, I also want to say a word about Wednesday nights. I try to expose our people to uh, different genres of scripture, whether it's historical narrative, uh, prophets, uh, epistle-type material, gospels. We, we look at a range of materials. We've just got done on Wednesday night uh, looking at the book of Judges where we're told every man did what was right in his own eyes. Surely a commentary on our day and age today. And we've looked at some other Old Testament books lately, Genesis and Exodus. Uh, this Wednesday night, we're going to pick up looking at a little book in the Old Testament, a prophetic book, a minor prophet by the name of Jonah. And we'll be looking at the theme Running from God gets you in a whale of a mess. <laughs> Running from God gets you in a whale of a mess. And so you can join us on Wednesday nights uh, to look at that as well. I do want to ask you this morning to remember some of our families. Uh, Charlie Brackett's mom uh, passed away and her funeral was Friday. And then Mary Thomas and our congregation uh, learned this past week that she does indeed have uh, cancer. And so pray for her and her doctors and her family. And then also uh, Sherry Seeger had knee surgery. I was joking with Kevin that, uh, you know, she might make it through the surgery fine, but would she survive his cooking and cleaning? And he assured me that she took care of all that in advance so she wouldn't have to uh, put that at risk. So uh, pray for these families. I want you to look again just a couple of verses this morning. I know Kevin wrote, uh, read it a moment ago, but, but before I pray and, and we get started, just look again at verse 13 and 19. In verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then in verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray this morning as we look at the subject matter, living a life of contentment, that you would show us again what we have in Jesus Christ. That you have taken care of every need that we have. The greatest needs. Reconciliation with you. Forgiveness. A heavenly hope, a present work, and even present provision for our needs. We thank you for, for what a great God that we have. And Lord, as we close out this study on a book dealing with peace and joy and contentment, I pray that each one of us would display that through our relationship with Jesus. That we would be te a testimony to a world that has anything but those qualities. Lord, help us to be salt and light in this age, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, several weeks back, I gave you the example and an illustration of William Borden, not associated with the Milk family, but another prominent family from Chicago. And you may, you may remember that illustration. And, and I want to talk a little bit more this morning as we open about his life and, and fill in a few more details uh, because there's a point that I want you to see. Uh, here was a man who could have had it all. William Borden was a young man born into a very wealthy American family and trained at both Yale University and Princeton Seminary. He gave his life to the service of Christ. As a young man, he took a trip around the world. And when he got done with that trip, he came back home and he had a heart for the world. From that point on, he dedicated his life to sharing Christ with the peoples of the world. As an undergraduate at Yale, he was instrumental in organizing the Yale Hope Mission, which helped the down and outs of society. At the age of 22, he was asked to serve on the council of the North American branch of the China Inland Mission. And he played a vital role in the expansion of that work. As soon as he graduated from seminary, Borden set off on a three-month travel schedule throughout the United States to support the volunteer student mission movement. After his, uh, his ordination, he directed his attention to overseas missions. His ultimate goal was to land down inside a province in China that was mostly Muslim. And on his way to his final destination, he stopped over in Cairo, Egypt for several months to learn more about the language and custom of Muslims, and while there, he contracted meningitis, and he died. 25 years of age. In the final days of his life, Borden clung to the motto, which had been the theme of his whole life since being a Christian. No reserve, no, regret, uh, no, reserve, no retreat, no regrets. You see, he demonstrated a quality in his life that so many people today don't have, and that's contentment. He was content in Christ. Folks, we know that's something everybody strives for in life. Contentment, peace, joy, happiness. We want to be fulfilled. We want to live with a sense of purpose. We want to be comfortable and satisfied in life. But as we look around, that's certainly not what we see in our world. I mean, how, I'm, just be honest. How many truly contented people do you know? I hope you know some, but how many? You probably know far more that are not content. We see a society around us that is discontented, empty, unfulfilled, and very divided and restless. And that's where this passage comes in. We see the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment, we learn here, is not found in circumstances. We can have bad circumstances and still be content. 
And so the secret of contentment is not to be found in circumstances. It's not to be found in positions we might have in life. It's not to be found in relationships, even though those are very important. But that's not the ultimate source of our contentment. Of course, our relationship with Jesus is. And our wealth, our bank account, likewise, is not the source of our contentment. There's only one thing, I should say, one person that can bring joy and contentment to your life and my life, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to the Philippians. I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning, true contentment is not based on things of the world. He says there in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every, in any circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so again here he's pointing out that true contentment is not based on the things of the world. Look at his life here. He's expressing to them a deep-seated joy. He's joyful. Because the Philippians have sent a new financial gift to him after many years. Perhaps the passage of 10 or 12 years. The gift was a sign that they cared deeply for the Apostle Paul. And so he says your giving has revived once again. The word is literally flourished. Your, your giving has flourished once again. And it was sometimes used to describe flowers and so forth in the spring that would, that would bloom again. I don't know about you, but going into wintertime, I'm already... I'm already ready for spring again. I love spring. I love warm weather. I love to see things blooming. I love to see grass green. Paul says, your concern for me has bloomed again. It's revived again. It's flourished again. He knows that they care all along, but they just didn't have opportunity to show it in a tangible way. It could have been that they've been through a tough time financially as a church. Most likely it was the fact that Paul being a missionary on the move. They simply couldn't keep up with where he was going to be next. You know today it can be hard to keep up with people with computers and cell phones and email, internet, that sort of thing. Can you imagine first century world and how difficult it could be to keep up with somebody? But now Paul has landed in prison, or I should say under house arrest. He'll end up in prison and lose his life eventually, but he's under house arrest for preaching the gospel. The Philippians have found him and they've sent a financial gift to Paul through that man we were introduced to earlier in the letter by the name of Epaphroditus. And so Paul sends this letter... 
back to the Philippians through the hands of Epaphroditus. And basically, the book of Philippians is a thank you note. A thank you note to this congregation. While he reminds them of the secret of joy and contentment. You see, he does more than simply say thank you. He uses their financial gift to teach them something about contentment. We see here that circumstances cannot bring contentment. Look at verse 11. In in verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul's not dependent on how things are going in his life in order to be content. Folks, that's quite a testimony, especially when you think of some of Paul's circumstances. He never had an easy life as a Christian. All we have to do to see Paul's difficult circumstances is simply read through the book of Acts. Everywhere he went preaching the gospel, he ended up in trouble. Sometimes he was thrown in jail. And yet he was so content because he knew through it all that he was in the will of God. He was doing the will of God. Folks, if you know you're doing the will of God, there's an amazing contentment that comes with that. Do you know that you're doing the will of God? And your circumstances can't provide the contentment that that knowledge can bring. Contrast Paul with us today. We live in such a discontented age. We're we're looking for things to, to meet this need that each of us has to be content. We move on average every three to five years. Sometimes it's necessary, but oftentimes it's just because we want a bigger house or a different neighborhood. Divorces begin to be prevalent after seven years. Job changes, divorces, you've heard of the seven-year itch. That's where that saying comes from. We change our jobs, our homes, our relationships, but we're still not satisfied because we're looking to sources that can't provide contentment. Also, money cannot bring contentment. We feel like we need more and more to be happy. Billionaire Howard Hughes was asked on one occasion, how much more does it take to make a man happy? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. That seems to be the motto of today, doesn't it? Just a little bit more. How much more do you need? Just a little bit more. It reminds me of an ancient... Persian legend or fable about a wealthy man by the name of Al. Al was a prosperous farmer. But in his fable, he was hearing from one of his friends about traveling the world and how this friend had, had dis, uh, discovered wealth and, and diamonds and precious stones and all sorts of things out there and Even though Al had a very wealthy farm, he started looking at the world out there. 
That fable kind of reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke 15. But anyway, Al finally decided to sell his farm and go out there looking. He was searching for wealth. And he never could find it. Finally, he jumped off of a cliff into the ocean and killed himself. But meanwhile, the man who had bought his farm was out in the fields one day and discovered what was a, turned out to be a precious stone out in the field and began looking more and uncovering more and more and more of those things. Turns out that Al's farm back in Persia had all kinds of rich mineral assets on it. It was under his nose. But he gave all that up to go out into the world and search for something else. We look for true contentment in the things of this world. And we're never satisfied. One novelist had a character of his say, We took what we wanted until we no longer wanted what we took. How about you today? Are you depending on the things of this world to make you content? Are you depending on money, circumstances, material things in this world? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. I might be speaking to someone today who's miserable because your life has become too complicated. As you're chasing after whatever it is. In the world, and life in the process has become so complicated and filled with too much stuff already. Even God has been crowded out, and life is just not enjoyable anymore. It can happen to well meaning Christians. It's probably been more than a decade ago. I was reading about a prominent pastor in America of a megachurch. And he had gotten to a point in his life, he said, you know what, I just feel like I'm on a treadmill. I'm overwhelmed with demands all the time. I, I can no longer keep up. I've become disconnected from even my family. I've, I've, been, I've become disconnected from even God while I'm serving God. He said, I'm on a treadmill every day that just won't stop. And I can't get off. But somehow or another I need to pull the plug and, and get off. We need to keep life more simple. You know God teaches us by the way we enter into the world that we don't have to have a lot of stuff. In 1 Timothy 6 Paul says we come into this world naked and we leave, we leave the same way. That ought to be a lesson if we come with nothing and leave with nothing, then in between those two points, stuff can't make us happy. I've done a lot of funerals in 35 years of ministry, and, and I am yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It said they buried Alexander the Great with palms facing upwards in his casket. 
they wanted to show that he who had conquered the world by age 33 died just like everybody else, empty-handed. William Barclay, some of y'all have the little daily devotional commentaries by William Barclay. He says at this point, It's not that Christianity pleads for poverty. There is no special virtue in being poor and no happiness in having a constant struggle to make ends meet. He says, but Christianity does plead for two things. Number one, and listen to these, a lot of wisdom here. It pleads for the realization that it is never in the power of things to bring happiness. And number two. It pleads for the concentration upon the things which are permanent. The things that a man can take with him when in the end he dies. Wise words. Secondly, I want you to see with me this morning, true contentment comes through a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Behind this here, we see the bankruptcy of the world's philosophies. In this phrase, Paul was challenging much of the famous philosophy of his day. The Greeks were philosophers after all. And their philosophy was basically that I can do all things through self-sufficiency. One of them said, man is the measure of all things. The main goal in life... For the ancient philosophers was contentment. But what was strange is how a few of them said you were supposed to reach contentment. They believed it came from being totally self-sufficient. They said the secret is not in possessing a lot, but in wanting very little. Now that might sound good, but they carried it to the extreme. Some of them cut themselves off from everything. With the feeling that I need to become unfeeling and disconnected from everything so that I won't care about anything. One of them even gave the example, start with the little things. If you drop a plate, uh, even a costly plate in your kitchen and it breaks, just tell yourself, I don't care. After you get pretty good at that, uh, maybe... You move it up a notch. You take a pet that means a lot to you. Something happens to that pet. I don't care. At this point, move on up with with your own life. If something happens to you, something happens to your health, just shrug it off. Say, I don't care. He went on to say, if you train yourself long enough to be content by disconnecting from everything, your whole family can have tragedy strike. And you don't care. You don't even raise an eyebrow. But folks, that's not contentment. That's just becoming cold and callous and disconnected from life. And it shows that many of the philosophies that were abounding in Paul's day, they they were bankrupt. And let's remember Paul's words to the Colossians. He says, don't be held captive by any of the world's philosophies. 
And so Paul moves on here in this verse to talk about the beauty, not of self-sufficiency, but of Christ-sufficiency. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Folks, true contentment comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and being vitally connected to Him. Everything in life has a hidden resource behind it. Think about it. Trees send their roots down to get water and minerals. Rivers have their source in snow-capped mountains. The Christian life is to have his source, his life connected to the life of Christ. A number of years ago at the World's Fair, somebody noticed a man dressed in a brilliant gold suit standing beside a a hand pump. His arm was moving up and down and water was gushing out out of the pump. One visitor from a distance noticed, man, that that dude is really pumping the water. But when they moved closer, they discovered that, that it was a mannequin, nicely dressed. And his arm was connected to the pump. His arm was not pumping the pump and pumping the water. The water was pumping the, the man's arm. Paul says, that's how Christ is in a believer's life. I can do all things through Christ. My strength, my capabilities come through Christ in me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul's Paul's connecting that here to his work on the mission field, whether he had little or whether he had much. He was content because he had Christ in him. And so through persecutions, hardships, lack of support, suffering, Paul knew that Christ was there supplying him with life and everything that he needs. Folks, this is not a verse to misuse. You can go into... I I, I remember in high school or different places going in a weight room and there's a sign on on a weight room wall. You know, here's a guy trying to lift 400 pounds and everybody's chanting 413, 413 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me this verse has nothing to do with that this verse speaks to those who are living for Christ, serving Christ maybe even suffering for Christ for example, the young couple who's trying to live more simply on a budget so maybe the wife can stay home with the kids and raise the kids but they need wisdom from God in how to, how to structure their finances so they can do that. I can do all things through Christ. It speaks to the man or woman who's having a tough time at work because they're a Christian and nobody in their environment joins them in their faith and everybody makes fun of them and they're having a tough time. I can do all things through Christ. It speaks to the Christian housewife or woman who's just learned that her husband is having an affair. And she knows that in her strength she can't forgive him but she wants to repair the marriage and keep her family together and ultimately forgive him. I can do all things through Christ. It speaks of the missionary on the field who's so homesick. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows that God has placed him there for a season. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through these type of situations and more, the Bible says you can be content in your difficult circumstances because Christ is with you and He will infuse you with His power and He will fill you with His strength, which is perfect. Back in the days when Eastern Europe was under communism, there was a young woman converted to Christ, her parents made her leave home. She shared her testimony with other students at school. Seven of them became believers. She was expelled from school because of her Christian faith. She took a job at a bakery. Her co-workers wanted to know the secret of her life. She shared Christ with them and many of them became believers. She was fired from her job. Eventually, her government exiled her from her country. In her new country, she was instrumental in forming a church. When asked how she could bear all of her troubles and yet be so happy and content and accomplish so much, she said it was all because of Jesus in her heart and life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Paul's point. You can bear your troubles. You can live for Christ. And you don't just have to grin and bear it. You can be at peace and joyful on the inside and content because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So what's this point here? True contentment is grounded in the conviction That it's, it's that relationship with Christ that governs everything else about life. If you have Him as the source of your strength and direction in your life, what Paul is reminding the Philippians of here, that God will help you deal with everything else. And then thirdly, he moves on to point out true contentment is grounded in the conviction that God will supply all of our needs. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus you see what he's doing here folks up to this point the focus has been on this gift that they have given to Paul. But now Paul changes the focus from the gift to the results of the gift. And then he speaks of an assurance that he knows that they can have in their lives. For example, in verse 17, he speaks of fruit that will increase to their credit. In other words, what they have done for Paul... Aside from what it's meant to Paul, 
Paul says they've actually done it for God's kingdom. That's the result of their gift. And so Paul is saying here, more than desiring the gift itself, he desires what their unselfish giving is doing for them. Their investment in his life was an investment in the kingdom of God. They've given to the Lord. Now, folks, here's a real lesson for us, right? We give to the Lord by giving to his work. I mean, it's not like you can take your gift and walk into God's throne room this morning and walk up to the throne and hand it to God and say, Here, I want to give you something can't do that but when we give to the things of God we've given him all the same we've got a lot of moon coming up giving to missions think of this what are we giving to are we are we just giving to between 4,000 4,500 of our missionaries on the field, or are we just giving to them? No, we're giving to them, but we're giving to the Lord. By the way, we're going to have an additional motivation to give to that this year. Uh, Brandon Brooks, one of our own on the mission field through the IMB, and another one, Katie Cloy's getting ready to, to, to go into missions. We've got all the more reason to give. But Paul's point is, when we give to things like this, associated with God's work, we're giving to God through giving to things related to His kingdom. We're actually giving to God. Paul says, that's the fruit of your gift, and that's what you need to understand. And that's why he said to the Corinthians what he did when he encouraged them to give bountifully. He said, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And he was encouraging them to give bountifully to that offering he was collecting because they were giving to God and God's kingdom's work folks can can we can we connect those dots I wish we could better when we when we give to things in the church we give to missions we give to people out there on the mission field we need to understand we're giving to God and his work we're not just giving to that person And there's fruit that comes out of that. Because in supporting them, they're able to get out there and spread the gospel. Sow the seed of the gospel. And because they sow the seed of the gospel, people hear. And by hearing, people believe. And through believing, people are saved. So there's a connection between the gift and the ultimate result of the gift. And that's what Paul is reminding them of here. He goes on to to describe it in verse 18. Look at the words that he uses. He says, Your gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That language goes back to the Old Testament when they received or when they offered a burnt offering. And gave what God had asked to be given in a burnt offering. The aroma of the burnt offering was a pleasing fragrance to God. Paul is saying what you've done is likewise a 
pleasant fragrance to God. God will recognize it as such and God will reward it as such. You will never outgive God. You will never put God in your debt. Folks, we give to ministries, we give to people, we give to organizations. But God sees it as giving to Him. So when you give, know that you're giving to more than the person or the church. You're giving to God and it is pleasing to God. And because the Philippians have been rich towards God in this aspect, Paul is confident God will be rich toward them. God will provide all of their needs. And look at what he says about that, the surety of the provision. He says, he shall supply, not that he might or that he could, but he will. Paul was living proof to them that God can and he will. You know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they understood the surety of God's provisions, didn't they? When Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fiery furnace, they, they still refused to bow the knee. They said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And then they added this, but even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Basically, they were saying God will provide what we want but if he doesn't provide what we want he'll provide what we need he will either deliver us from the fire or through the fire but our God will deliver us Paul is saying to the Philippians here you've been gracious to me and given to me and it's an offering to God because I'm doing God's work and I'm confident I don't know how God's going to supply your needs but I know this God is going to supply your needs I don't even have to wonder about it because that's the kind of God that we serve then he talks about the scope of the provision all of your needs you know, we think of material things, don't we? But think of the, some other things. We need forgiveness of sins, don't we? What's 1 John 1, 9 say? He forgives us of our sins. We carry burdens. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened. I'll give you rest. We need to overcome temptation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, God gives us the way out. We need counsel. Jesus said in John 14, 16, God gives us the Holy Spirit to give us that counsel. We worry. Philippians 4 says, We turn those worries over to God in prayer and God gives us peace. Folks, God supplies all of our needs. Yes, your needs are the clothes on your back and the shoes on your feet. But you've got bigger needs than that. And the Christian can know that God will supply all of the needs of his children. 
The source of the provisions, he says, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul said, you met my need, God will meet your needs. You met one need, but God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, God gives out of his riches. And I want you to notice what he says here. All of God's blessings to you will come to you through Jesus Christ. In other words, those who don't know Christ are disconnected from these kinds of blessings. They don't know anything about it. But for those who are in Christ, God blesses us out of his storehouses of riches. For those who know Christ, somebody once said that God has at least four bank accounts that scripture mentions he gives out of. Romans 2.4, the riches of his goodness. Romans 11.33, the riches of his wisdom. Ephesians 1.7, the riches of his grace. Philippians 4.19, the riches of his glory. The riches of his goodness, the riches of his wisdom, the riches of his grace, and the riches of his glory. That's what God gives out of. You know, all of our financial institutions of the world could potentially come crashing down one day. Water supplies can dry up. Those who are mining for things in the earth, those mines, they can get everything out. They they can dry up. But there's a God in heaven with a storehouse that is full and his storehouse will never run dry. His bank account never runs dry and he gives to his children according to his riches. And again, folks, please understand what I'm saying. I'm not preaching some kind of health and wealth gospel that God gives you riches, things in the world. God's riches far supersede all that and transcend all those types of things. God will look after your material needs, but then he gives you spiritual riches from his banks in heaven, his resources. Things that you can't even put a figure on. They mean so much to you. Our contentment, Paul is saying, comes from a heavenly father who looks after these things for the sake of his children. Maxie Jarman of Nashville, Tennessee, died at the age of 76. He was an internationally known Christian businessman. He took a company from 75 employees to 75,000 employees. His company, Gnesco, in the late 60s was the world's largest apparel company. During its heyday, Maxie gave millions and millions of dollars away. He built churches around the world. He gave to Christian causes, mission organizations. And then all of a sudden, he experienced financial reversals. He lost his company and his personal fortune. Somebody said, Maxie, when you think of all those millions that you've given away, you think of all this money that you've lost, what do you say now? He said, actually, I didn't lose a penny of anything I gave away. 
The only thing I lost was what I kept. What a great attitude. The result of all this, Paul says in verse 20, is glory to God. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, your gift has meant the world to me. It shows your love. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your gift will bring blessing and reward to you and God will supply your needs. And what's the result of it all in the end? God gets the glory as more people are reached for the gospel. So Paul is saying, you want to know where joy and contentment is? Joy and contentment is in knowing what God can do and what God does indeed do. And how you and I, through how we serve and how we give, are a part of what God is doing in the world. It's bigger. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than anything we can see. But God in heaven opens up his bank accounts and he gives so that his work goes on and the gospel gets out there. People are reached from, for Christ and more glory is given to God. All glory and honor goes to God. I want to ask you to bow with me in prayer, please. I want you to look at your life this morning as you're bowed there in prayer, every eye, every eye closed, every head bowed. What are you living for? Are you constantly looking for something else? There's this restlessness. You're always looking. There's always this void. You know, Augustine said our hearts are restless and they find no rest until they are at rest in thee. Maybe you're restless because that void in your heart is God knocking on your heart, getting your attention. You need Christ. You're looking for things right now that can never give you joy and contentment and peace inside. Temporal things can never give eternal contentment or joy. You're look, you've, you've been looking to the wrong source. Look to the right source, Jesus, and come to Him. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Christian, maybe the things in the world have blinded you. And, and you've started putting more of your focus on those things. And if you'll be honest with yourself, as you've done more and more of that, looking to the wrong things, your, your joy and peace and contentment has gone down. It's diminished. You need to get back to the sufficiency that you have in Christ. And look to Him. And put your focus on Him.
Do you believe God this morning that if you put him first, he's going to supply your needs? Not your greeds, but your needs. He'll do it. He is the only one worth investing your life in. He'll never die. Oh, the grave had him the one time. Couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead. He never dies. He'll never let you down. He'll always be there. Live your life in such a way that like William Borden, you can get to the end of your life and say, no reserve, no retreat. No regrets. Father, as we read these words of the Apostle Paul, what a testimony they are to us because here was a man who knew what it was like to have everything. I think of his resume back in Philippians 3 as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he had the world by its tail, so to speak. And all of that came crashing down when he saw that Christ is the only one who can give us life. As a follower of Christ, often he had much, but sometimes he had nothing. In fact, many times he was in jail, and yet still he had contentment and joy. He saw you working in his life, working in the lives of the Christians that, that he was discipling. So, Lord, here's a man who knows what he's talking about as he writes these words to us. And they're your inspired words. We can take them and believe them and build our lives upon them because you're the God who does not lie. So help us to see today that whether in plenty or in want, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Whatever you've called us to do in this world, if you've called us to do it, we can do it because you will give us the strength. You're our source of strength. And Lord, as we give to your kingdom's work, we'll never outgive you and you'll turn around and supply all of our needs. It reminds me of what Jesus said. If you want to, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But you lose your life for my sake, Jesus said, and you'll save it. Lord, help us to see through this text that the world has it upside down. And in the church, we need to get things right side up again. And have the right perspective and convictions. Lord, I pray this morning in this congregation there would be believers who would get their priorities back in order. I pray that there would be people who would come to Christ who'd say, Pastor, I've been looking to things that can't satisfy and can't give life. I need Jesus. Lord, help us to not listen to the bankrupt philosophies and ideas of the world. 
but may we trust you. Because in you alone is life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?